following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series in the Gospel of Luke. For more audio or information about our church, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, as he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Church, you can have a seat. Again, Merry Christmas in September. Um, I am so glad you're here with us, and if you are new with us, I promise you this is not normal. You'll remember our church, though, as the church who is celebrating Christmas when it's 100 degrees. But um, we didn't randomly pick this this topic to discuss this morning to look at. Uh, But we started into a brand new book together as a church a couple weeks ago. Uh, The book, incredible book of Luke. Well, the beginning of Luke kind of points us forward to this moment when the Messiah was born and, and this morning... We get to look at that, as you might have guessed, um, together. And so the stage last week was set as as God chose Mary. He he chose uh, Mary chosen by God, an unmarried virgin girl, teenager, might I add. Uh, But God chose her, told Mary that she was going to conceive by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And, And as we talked about last week, let's just think about this. This made Mary an unmarried, um, engaged, pregnant teenager. 
And like we talked about last week, and the, the child that she was pregnant with was not her fiance. So this was messy, right? This was, this was messy. But Mary believed the stage was set, and now we get to the beautiful text that we just heard in Luke chapter, chapter 2. Um, we have this opportunity now to look back at a moment that forever changed history. My hope is that we kind of um, steal this moment, this scripture, back from December, and, and that we look at it to realize that, that th- this message is something we need to see today, that we, this is something we need to, to look at uh, today together. Uh, what an incredible and beautiful, and can I add weird and mysterious story that we just heard. Uh, this, this morning, I know that many of you have heard this story hundreds of times. Uh, my, my, my hope is, is that you, you will listen to this story with, with open ears. And that what is familiar, I, 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 my prayer is that we will see this story for what it truly is, which is a story that can change not only history, but change our life. So here's what we're going to do this morning. As we, looked, as we look at this, this incredible story, uh, we're going to hone in on a, on a few things that, that honestly, as you read this, are a bit strange. And we're going to look at uh, what we're going to call the mystery of Christmas this morning. We're going to look at three things. We're calling them mysteries um, to see how they impact us today as we look at the Christmas story. Now, before we get into this, I do want to say we have in, in the back of the room, if you don't own a Bible, don't have a Bible, we as a church would love to give you one. No strings attached. Um, there's nothing you have to do. They're back there for you. And so if you're here, you don't have a Bible, you don't own one, uh, you do now. On your way out or even now, you can go grab one. It's yours. No strings attached. Just go pick pick one up. And while you're back there, we also have what we call the guide. It's sitting right by the Bibles. That is for you to take as well. This is just meant to come alongside of you in your study. There's devotionals in there. It, like I said, grab them. No, no strings attached. You can also download that. Last thing before we get started, we have some kiddos joining us this morning, which I love. This is one of my favorite services. And so welcome. We are so glad you're here. At the back table, though, if you didn't see, we have sermon notes for our kiddos. And, and it's just kind of activities they can go through in here while, um, while we talk together and look at this book. So if you haven't grabbed one, there's no judgment if you get up right now and, and go grab one. Having said that, let's, uh, let's pray together and then we will jump in. God, we are humbled and blown away as we hear that story. Even though it's familiar, familiar to most of us, I pray that you open our eyes to see why this story not only changed the world, changed history, but Father, that it changes us today. God, we pray that you speak, that we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I want to set up for us, before we get into this, I want to set up for us just a, a few things to kind of set the stage uh, for, for us this morning. Uh, now, you don't have to turn with me to, to these. I'm gonna, we're going to go to three places. You don't have to turn with me here uh, unless you just want to and you're fast, you can. But I'm going to have them on the screen for us. But I want to read these to us just to kind of set the stage uh, for our story. Because I think if we get this, it, it becomes much, a much bigger story, okay? So... The first one actually comes from 
the book of Micah. The book of Micah, this comes from Micah 5, chapter 2. Um, let me just read this to you. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So uh, this comes from a prophet named Micah who lived Get this, 700 years before our moment in Luke. Okay, so 700 years before uh, Gabriel appears to Mary and, and our moment in Luke, 700 years before this. Speaking to the people, he says, you know, guys, I know Bethlehem is an unlikely small town that you wouldn't expect. I know that. But that is the place where the future Messiah is going to come from. Now, we being uh, Texans, most of us, if you're not, I'm, I'm sorry, but um, we might not get the big, the, how big that is, because Bethlehem is like the Kerrville of Texas. Now, if you don't know where Kerrville is, that's my point, all right? There's nothing wrong with Kerrville. Kerrville is a beautiful little small sleepy town. In fact, it happens to be the place I was born. So it's got to be good, right? Um, but that's Kerrville. There's nothing wrong with Kerrville. You just don't expect someone to change the world to come from Kerrville, Texas. You don't expect a, a, an event that will rock the world to its core to come from, from Kerrville. And so Micah stands in front of his from the people of God and makes this bold prophecy and not only is the Messiah coming, but he's coming from this sleepy little town, this humble little town uh, called Bethlehem. Out of Bethlehem will come the one we've been waiting for. So let's look at another, Isaiah 7. This comes from Isaiah 7, verse 14. All right, listen to this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel. So again, okay, Isaiah is like Micah. He was 700 years before the moment we get to in Luke. 700 years. And, and I want you to think about how in just absolutely absurd this was to say. Okay, so, so I'm going to just bring it to our, our context now and just paint a, a hypothetical. So in 2012, our nation will have another election. We're going to be electing another president, 2012. Um, and this president is going to change the world. But here's my prediction. He's going to come from Kerrville. I'm going back to that, all right? I mean, that's unlikely, but possible. I mean, really unlikely. But, I mean, it's possible that the future president who's going to change the world is going to come from, from Kerrville. But, but here's a, my, the second part of that prediction is not only is he going to come from Kerrville, but he's going to be born of a virgin. That's weird, right? That, that is not something that we just say. That doesn't happen. That never has happened until this. But Isaiah here says, speaking to his people, says, the Lord's going to give you a sign. The virgin's going to conceive, give birth to a little boy, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, uh, which just so happens to be God with us. That's pretty cool as well. Um, the Messiah is coming. 
from the unlikely place in a very unlikely, some might say impossible manner. All right? Now, last one, one more. Jeremiah 23, this comes from verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. All right, so Jeremiah was 600 years before our time in Luke. So 100 years after, after uh, Micah and Isaiah do their thing, here comes Jeremiah, and he says, God himself is going to bring us a Messiah from David's lineage. He's going to come from the line of David. All right, I could give more, but I'm going to stop here because I want, with that, that being said, I want you to read the first part of our story together. This gets us into what I'm going to call the first mystery that we're going to point out, which is the mystery of God's plan. The mystery of God's plan. So all of that, with those in mind, listen to this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration with when Quirinius the, was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. By the way, that's about an 80-mile trek uphill. Not a pleasant trip. But listen to this. To Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was in the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child, by the way, a virgin. Okay, so born from Bethlehem, check, born from a virgin, check, born from the lineage of David, check. Let me ask, you would think there would be radical acceptance, radical acceptance, from this world who knew what the prophets had said, they were waiting for a Messiah, you would think that that, what Luke just gave us, would have been enough for them to radically accept this baby boy as the fulfillment, the long-awaited Messiah. You would think that they would have just been eating this up. This was the moment, right? That's what you would think. But there wasn't. There wasn't a, a radical acceptance. And here's my point. Um, the moment, this moment that we just read, was everything that God told them it would be. It was everything that God told them to expect. From the unlikely details to the really, really, really unlikely details. It was everything that God told them is coming. Everything. Yet, it was nothing that they expected. It was nothing that they expected. And throughout the life of this child, Jesus, it just so happens to be that the religious leaders were the strongest opposition to him. The religious leaders who knew their scriptures the best, who knew Micah, who knew Isaiah, who knew Jeremiah, they knew them. They knew what they wrote. They had them memorized. They knew it. And it was them who, who struggled the most to accept them, even when they saw the signs, they were caught unexpected and, and, and unbelieving. This is the mystery of God's plan here. Now, 
How often, church, are we just like this? How often are we just like this? I mean, think about it. God, through his word, has told us what to expect. We have been told that Jesus is going to return. We have been told that he's coming again. We have been told some of the events leading up to his coming. We have been told, yet the Bible says that his coming will be as a thief in the night. A thief in the night. Now, typically, a thief, if they're a good thief, don't tell you when they are going to thieve you, right? They don't announce, you know, 1030 Tuesday. I'm going to be there, just so you know. That, that's never what happened. What happens, because we never know when. We never know when a thief is going to come. That's the picture that the Bible paints. And so if we know that a thief is coming, if you know you're going to be robbed Tuesday at 1030, if you, if you know, you prepare for it. But if you don't know when, what do you do? You prepare now and you stay prepared. If you know a thief's coming, you don't know when, you know he's coming, you get ready now. You put cameras, barbed wire, dogs, whatever you have to do to get ready and, and stay ready. Now, listen to this. So, so I think this is exactly what Jesus was talking about. I, I want to read. You don't need to turn here with us, but, but I want to read to you what Jesus says about this very topic. In Matthew 24, uh, Jesus is sitting with his disciples who are asking him, what's it going to be at the end? What is that going to look like? When is it going to happen? Here's what Jesus says. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken, one will be left. Then two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one left. Therefore, listen to this, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I want to add one more thing to this. Paul adds to this, and I want, this comes from 1 Thessalonians. Listen to this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come again like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. That's descriptive. And they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to be a surprise, to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor, uh, nor of the darkness. Listen to this. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Let us be ready. We know what's coming. Let us be ready. They didn't know the timing for his birth. We don't know the timing for his coming. 
Let us be ready. Let us not be like everyone who sleeps, but let us be ready. We are so much like the people in in our text in Luke, the culture at that time. The mystery of God's plan for them was everything that God told them it would be, it was going to be, everything that God told them to expect, yet nothing that they actually expected. Oh, that we would learn. Oh, that we would, we would, we would learn. We would, we would be ready for that moment. Again, going to our thief analogy here. If you knew he was coming at 1030 on Tuesday, And this time I'm not talking about the thief. If you knew Christ was coming back, 10.30 p.m. Tuesday, you knew it. You don't, but you did, all right? Just for the sake, you did. You knew he was coming. How would you live differently over the next few days? How would you live differently? How would you prepare yourself? What would you do differently? How would your life look if you knew he was coming? If you knew he was coming, church, What if you did those things this week? What if you just went ahead and lived like that this week? What would that do? I know it sounds crazy, but what if we just did those things this week? We lived our lives under an expectation, always ready, always prepared, never sleeping. Church, are you ready? Are you ready? Honestly, as we look back on this story, we have to ask ourselves the question. We, we have to. Knowing what we just saw, um, why wasn't there an overwhelming acceptance and belief of, of Jesus? Why on earth was, there, was he not accepted, um, especially by the religious leaders? Why on earth was, was there not an acceptance of Jesus, right? I mean, they knew what Micah said. They knew Jeremiah. They knew Isaiah. Why didn't they see it? And I believe this takes us into the second mystery that we're going to deal with this morning. The second mystery is this, the mystery of humility. This is honestly, as I've read this story, and like you, I've, I've heard this story a lot. But as I read this story, this is what hit me in the face the hardest this week. The mystery of humility. Um, if I were God and I were writing the script, I would not have written it like this. I, I wouldn't. I, I, just, just think about this. First, Bethlehem. We've already talked about Bethlehem, but, but if we were going to be picking a place, a hometown for the Savior of the world, I would not have selected this place. I would not have, I mean, this wasn't like a threat. This wasn't Jerusalem. This, this wasn't it. I wouldn't have, it was small. It was a sleepy little town and a humble town, and this was his hometown. Think about uh, Mary and Joseph. They're not exactly the most well-to-do people. They're not the most well-educated. They're not the most well-known. They are a humble couple with humble means. If I were God, wouldn't you want to pick someone to that knew more people, was better connected, something. But no, no, that's not how God works. God chose this humble couple so that he would receive the glory and not them. Now, think about the manger. Okay, we rush past this, but this is insane. Okay, a humble town, I can get that. Humble parents, I got that. At least miraculously give him a crib, give him a room, 
right? I mean, give him something. But no, he was born in the most humble of ways in a stable. The Savior of the world was laid down in a feeding trough. I'm a parent. I don't want my kids sleeping in a feeding trough. He was laid in a feeding trough, the the place that we feed donkeys. That was God in a trough, in the most humblest of ways. Okay, think about this. The shepherds. The shepherds. So if I were to think about the people who I was going to appear to first, they're going to be the spokesman for my message. They're going to go tell the community, wouldn't you get someone who is well-spoken, well-educated, well-networked to go spread that message? And here he, God chooses the shepherds. The shepherds were, were common, a little rough around the edges kind of guys, right? That was the shepherds. And this is who he chooses, not the powerful, not the mighty, but the humble shepherds. Okay, one more. This one gets me the most, okay? So what is the most helpless thing in the world? Is it not a baby? A baby. Uh, God of the universe as a baby, as a baby. So Jesus present at creation, now needing someone to feed him, to change his diaper, to pick him up, a helpless baby. If I were God, would I have considered sending an adult male or something? Like, throw an adult onto the earth. Don't send a a little baby boy, like, it's helpless, not only in the humble city to a humble couple, in, the, in a humble means, but also in the humble condition of a baby boy. This story makes no sense. It is a mystery. Could it be, church, that that's the reason they struggled to believe? Could it be that that is what was so big that they can't? wrap their minds around, even though God told them what to expect, even though he told them what to look for, could it be that this was just unbelievable? Just unbelievable. We, you, me, we don't write scripts like this. We don't write, this would not have been the way we would have chosen. Yet this is the way God chose. He told them what to expect, and it was still nothing like what they were expecting. This is the mystery church of humility. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, if you will. I'm going to have it on the screens as well. I want to turn here because I think this says it better than I ever could. Um, And I believe this sums it up absolutely just beautifully. Philippians chapter chapter 2. have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in, in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So again, Jesus Christ completely just complete humility in every way, in birth, in life, in death. And now listen to this, verse 9. So, Therefore God was so highly, uh, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The mystery of humility is that humility leads to exaltation. The Bible says this in, in three places, actually. It quotes the same thing three times, right? Uh, when, when something's repeated, we need to take note of that, right? So in, in, in James 4, 1 Peter 5, Proverbs 3, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me put it a little differently for us. You can choose to exalt yourself, and God will graciously humble you. Or you can choose to humble yourself, and God will graciously exalt you. That's a mystery, church. That is, let me promise one more thing on top of that. God is better at exalting you than you are. And God is better at humbling you than you are. This is the mystery of humility. We come to him in humility and let him exalt himself through us, exalting us not just in this life, but in all eternity to come. Jesus steps out of, of heaven into this world with all of its pain and sickness and struggle. He steps down. He chooses to enter into this world uh, in the most humble of means. And it's something I don't think, church, that we'll ever fully be, be able to wrap our minds around. I don't think we'll ever fully get it. Um, but since this is the way that our Savior chose... Since this is the way Jesus lived, since this is the way Jesus gave his life, let's just use logic here. Then a prideful follower of Christ is a bit like an oxymoron. Right? Because to pridefully follow in the footsteps of absolute pure humility is nonsense. It does not make any sense. We are called to humility as our Savior is humble. We are called to humble ourselves as our Savior humbled himself. That is the calling. This is the mystery of humility, and I, I believe that leads us perfectly into the final mystery I want to talk about from this story, and that is the mystery of grace, the mystery of, of grace. So because of everything we just talked about, because Jesus Christ was the perfect fulfillment of God's plan, because Jesus stepped into humanity, became a human, became a man, because he was born in the humblest of means, and he humbled himself, I want you to turn to Hebrews 4. And I want us to look at something. I absolutely love this scripture, by the way. Uh, I love this scripture, and, and, it, and it hits on something that I think is so important for us to see. Uh, Hebrews chapter, chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, or let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This, this wrecked me this week because Jesus Christ humbled himself so that he could sympathize with the humble, 
Um, picture this church. We're here. And we are, we are in life, the struggle of life, the ups, the downs, the, the sicknesses, the, the, the sin, the, the stuff that weighs the struggle, the strife. We are here in all of our imperfections and all of our stuff. We are here, right? The Bible says that we have God over here who is holy, perfect, righteous, no imperfections whatsoever, holy, perfect. How on earth could that be, that gap be bridged? How on earth could that be overcome? The gap between creation and creator. How could that be bridged? The answer is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Because get this, sympathizing with us in our weakness, the, the, the scripture says, tempted as we are. In other words, he knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to struggle. He knows what it's like to deal with sickness. He knows what it is like to lose someone that he loved. He knows what it's like to be human. And yet he had no sin. And we have one the only way that we have a, a bridge over that gap is Jesus Christ, the perfect bridge. Church, this is amazing, and this is the mystery of grace, that not only are we tolerated, not only are you tolerated by our good God, not only are you tolerated, but you are loved and you are sympathized with. That he gets it, that he understands, that he knows you have a sympathetic high priest. And I don't know where you are in your faith this morning. Whoever you are, wherever you are, that right there should change the way you pray. Like, it should absolutely change the way you pray because no longer should we be praying starchy, distant prayers like we're praying to some ancient king who does not care about us. That's not the picture that the Bible paints. That's not... We are praying through Christ to a God who loves you, who gets it, who understands, who sympathizes with you in your weaknesses. That's who we are praying. If you've ever wondered how you're supposed to pray, am I doing this right? Right? I, that's one of the most common things I hear in, in the church is, am I doing this whole prayer thing right? If you've ever wondered that, church, Jesus Christ has made it to where you don't need to worry. Instead, you can come to him in honesty, authenticity, who you are because he gets it. He understands you. And he sympathizes with you in your time of weakness. I mean, listen to this. Having confidence it says, as we draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I mean, that is incredible, church. Absolutely incredible. And this is what we see. If we were to look at this whole thing so far, um, let me sum it up like this. As a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, here's what this text is calling us to. To be watchful for his return. To be humble in the way that you live and to be confident that he understands. As you look at the story of Jesus Christ coming as a baby into this world, be watchful for his return. Be humble in the way that you live and be confident that he understands. I encourage you, if you are here and you are not a follower of Christ this morning, 
to consider this overwhelming truth that God so loved you, he sent his son to be born, to live, and to die for you. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life to be with him forever. And if you are here and you want to respond to the gospel, let me be very clear. There is no magic formula. There are no religious hoops for you to jump through to make this thing happen. That's not what our Bible says. It's simply about believing that Jesus Christ came for you, died for you, and rose from the dead, giving you eternal life through him. It's belief in Jesus Christ. And if you believe that, I encourage you here, even in this moment, church, to pray. And as you do, as we've talked about, you're praying to a God who sympathizes with you, who loves you through the work of Jesus Christ. Take a moment right where you are and respond. Respond to the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. And speaking about responding, I want us to finish our time together by looking at the very end of our story in Luke 2. I know I've had you jump around this morning, but we'll, we'll camp back in Luke 2. We'll stay there. So in Luke 2, I want us to pick up in verse 13 uh, together. And I want us just to finish out our story and, and to see something here. And suddenly there was an, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. When you encounter church, when you encounter, when you see God's plan unfolding before your very eyes, when you encounter God, when you feel the hope that he gives, your only response, my only, our only response, the only thing left for us to do is exactly what happened here, worship. To be stopped in our tracks and say, God, you are good. God, you are good. When, when God changes everything, the only thing left for us to do is to respond in worship. To respond in worship. The shepherds here, overwhelmed by what they saw, believed we're praising God. You have to wonder, by the way, if those shepherds were changed men after this moment. If their lives were marked, they had a new purpose, they went back to shepherding, but it wasn't the same. You have to wonder. Mary here, just so overwhelmed by this moment that, that she just stops and just starts treasuring up everything. Just taking it all in. Have you ever been there? Felt God move and just had to stop, take it all in? That's, that's where Mary was. And then we look at this angel scene where multitude of heavenly hosts, that's a scene. All creation and all of its creator, all creation worshiping its God. Church, that's what you're invited into. That's what we're invited into, this weird 
Christmas in September moment. That's what we're invited into. That, that we are watchful for his return. We are humble in the way that we live our lives. We are confident that he understands us. And we join in creation's song of worship to our creator. That's what we're invited into. And that moment should not be reserved for December. Amen? Amen. Church, let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth. You did not have to to come, but you did. God, you sent your son to this earth. We can't even wrap our minds around how truly amazing, how truly breathtaking, how truly incredible that moment was when the God of the universe steps into human history and becomes a baby. God, help this familiar story to sink in deep. Help us to draw from it confidence that you will, in fact, return. Help us to be ready and watchful, not sleeping, but ready, watchful for your return. God, help us to live our lives in humility because you are humble. Because Jesus humbled himself when he came. Let us follow in that example. God, and let us have confidence. Let us have absolute confidence that as we come to you, that we are not merely tolerated, but we are loved. We are sympathized with. Help us to wrap our minds around that this morning. And God, until that moment when you do return, Help us to join into the song of creation, worshiping our God who is worthy, who is good, who made a way, and who we will spend eternity with through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.